Welcome, this is Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, a show dedicated to helping you find peace of mind through being well-informed and up-to-date. We want to help you defeat procrastination and provide information on legal matters that matter to you. I'm Ted Eccles, attorney, and you can reach us at LegalWiseGA.com. If you have a legal question, or particularly an estate planning question, go to our website and write to us. We try to address questions that you, our listeners, will find interesting and helpful. You can also join us as part of our free virtual estate planning workshops. To register, give us a call, 770-506-9092, or visit our website at LegalWiseGA.com. We have a great lineup of questions today on LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We'll talk about guardianships, living trust, divorce and mortgages, powers of attorney, executor misconduct, and we'll hear from a special guest. So let's get started. We have a question from Jamie. He says, I'm a single dad with custody of my two minor children. I've been diagnosed with a serious illness, and I'm not sure how my future medical treatment will impact my ability to provide for the day-to-day care of my kids. I've heard of a standby guardianship. What is a standby guardianship? Well, Jamie, there are times when, as a parent of a minor child, we're facing important medical procedures that may result in our inability to adequately fulfill our responsibility as a parent for a period of time. At other times, we may face a significant illness that will cause us to lose the ability to take care of our kids permanently. Well, during these trying times, as a precaution, Georgia allows a parent to designate a standby guardian, just in case we're unable to care for our child for a period of time after a procedure or while being treated. This appointment is required to be in writing, and it must comply with certain statutory mandates, and you must have the capacity to make this document when you sign it. The standby guardian will not gain the powers of a guardian over our children unless a doctor declares the designating patient is unable to adequately function as a result of their illness. However, once this doctor makes the declaration, the standby guardian can immediately begin acting as a guardian without having to first go to court and receive a written appointment. Even if the standby guardian is appointed, To the extent that it is consistent with the patient's physical and mental condition and health, the patient designating the standby guardian may confer with that guardian in decision-making concerning the care and welfare of the minor child. Well, the standby guardian will last no more than 120 days unless a petition for temporary guardianship is filed. When considering the appointment of a temporary guardian, the probate court will give deference to the patient's choice of a standby guardian. Well, Jamie, I hope your medical treatment is successful. Thanks for the question. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We have a question from Roger. He says, I was divorced several years ago. As part of the divorce, The order required that I quick claim my interest in our home to my ex-wife and she was ordered to refinance the mortgage within 120 days. 
She never refinanced and now has missed multiple payments, and it's impacting my credit because I'm still on the loan. Is there anything I can do to get out from under the loan? Well, Roger, I know this is a frustrating circumstance. The first thing to recognize is that just because the divorce decree directed you as the divorcing husband to change the ownership of the property and the wife to refinance the loan, the divorce court does not have the jurisdiction to order the mortgage company to release you from the mortgage. The court attempted to deal with this limitation by ordering your ex-wife to refinance. Unfortunately, she did not, and now your credit is being impacted. Since this was an order of the court, failing to comply with this order would likely put your ex-wife at risk of being held in contempt of that court order. However, the only way the court will know that she's not complied with the order is by you filing a petition. So you'll likely want to consult with an attorney to more fully provide information relevant to your specific facts so that you can further understand your options in this regard. If your ex-wife's credit will not allow her to obtain financing, the house may need to be sold so that the loan can be paid off, thereby removing your name from that mortgage. For many folks in your situation, the existence of the mortgage can even impact your ability to purchase a home for yourself. So moving forward with some remedy is important. Thanks for the question, Roger. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We have a question from Melissa. She says, My mom passed away three years ago, and my sister has been appointed executor of her estate. My mom owned a house, but my sister is refusing to sell it so I can get my part of the estate. Is there anything I can do? Well, thanks for the question, Melissa. Losing a parent can be stressful and painful. For many family members, sorting through the personal property and sentimental items can be difficult. It's pretty common for children, or even a spouse, to put off the challenging task of dealing with the estate property as they move through the grieving process. This can even extend to real property. So if I employ a charitable judgment, maybe your sister is continuing to feel the pain associated with your mother's passing and is having trouble thinking about selling it. Sometimes time is needed to move through this process. Unfortunately, I've also seen other circumstances where an executor is using the property or has plans for the property and does not want to sell it out of some selfish motive. Unfortunately, the delay in selling the property or distributing it to the beneficiaries under the will is causing harm. Well, Georgia law does provide a remedy for beneficiaries or creditors even of an estate where an executor is not efficiently managing an estate. An executor must act expeditiously to settle an estate and they must act in the best interest of all interested parties. The executor must strive to minimize any waste of estate property. As a beneficiary under the will, you likely have standing to petition the probate court where the estate was open to consider removing your sister as an executor. As this is a legal proceeding, you'll likely want to hire an attorney experienced in the probate process to represent you. If you're successful, 
the court may remove the wayward executor and appoint another person to complete the estate process. After consulting with an attorney and understanding your rights more clearly, you may want to make one last effort to talk with your sister in an effort to resolve this issue before going to court. Well, thanks for the question, Melissa. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. Hey, you're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles, and we're joined today by special guest Andy Goron. He's an agency owner with State Farm Insurance. Now, Andy, you've been helping folks for 13, for 13 years here in the metro area. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, a lot of our listeners to LegalWise with Ted Eccles are folks who not just, they don't just own their house or their land. They also own another piece of property. So I'll just give you an example. A person inherits some farmland in South Georgia or in the next county over. What should they be thinking about and how can they make sure that they're protected on liability issues on that property? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a couple of questions that come to mind. Um, is this a piece of property that's uh, generating income? Um, are there any structures on the property? Um, you know, how big is the, the plot of land? And, and so then, you know, here at State Farm, we would be looking for, uh, does this require a farm policy that would give them the liability to protect them for this income they're generating? Um, if it's vacant land, uh, our home policy, if it's not generating income, would extend the liability to that vacant property. And consequently, they wouldn't need to do anything. Um, and, and then, you know, based on size or, you know, what type of operation they're doing, um, we would just want to know what it is. Uh, is it, uh, you know, cattle? Is it uh, tree, timber, you know? And, and then we could, you know, figure out how that fits into our uh, program and, and how we could adequately cover that family. Okay. Sometimes the property might be vacant as to at least a residential structure, but it might have, say, a barn on it. Would that change things if it's just got a pole barn? Would that be covered under the homeowners or would that move it into a more farm category? So, so with us, yeah, once a structure is there and, and uh, I mean, it could be a, you know, a small pole barn or, or it could be a, a big, you know, uh, barn uh, that, that would, at least for us, take that out of the, the, you know, being covered by the homeowners. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's very, very interesting because a lot of times uh, folks are just thinking of putting a small structure on there, but that could actually move them into a, a denied claim, couldn't it? Yeah, potentially. And, um, you know, you may not even care about the, the structure being insured, uh, but in my opinion, uh, your liability um, is probably more important. So making sure that you had coverage extending there would be, would be an important thing. Yeah, that's crucial when thinking about um, that liability portion of owning property. Well, you'd mentioned uh, livestock. So I know there's a lot of listeners to LegalWise with Ted Eccles who, who have a, a, a few acres and maybe they have chickens or goats or maybe a cow or two. What should they think about if they've added livestock um, now to their, to their property when they're thinking about insurance products? Yeah. So, um, you know, first and foremost, you can insure that livestock. So if something happens, you know, you, you'd have protection there. 
Um, probably the most common is the, you know, fence breaks and, and your cow's out on the highway. And if your cow causes a car accident, um, then again, liability is something that you want to have. So, um, you know, making sure that you have that in place. Uh, generally speaking, once you add livestock, or at least more than a couple, uh, you know, cows, chickens, goats, horses, um, you'd then be looking at more of a farm policy than a home policy. It, would that be, um, as they're thinking about their their policies, does a farm policy include the residential structure or is it a, a just a separate policy? So if they reside on that premises or maybe that's a second home for them, then our farm policy would cover that structure. Um, generally, a home policy is going to say any building on the property is covered under this and it's either under the main structure or dwelling extension. With a farm policy, uh, maybe thankfully, uh, you can pick and choose the structures that you want coverage for, at least with us. And, and so some of those things, you know, you might say an old barn that's in the back corner of the property, you don't really care about that coverage, um, but you do care about liability. and You do care about the new farmhouse that's, you know, at the front of the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. You know, sometimes um, here at Eccles Law Group, we represent a lot of people with the states and they either inherit an old car or maybe they just have an old antique car or an antique boat or, or something that they've kept in their garage or down in their basement. How does State Farm or how does insurance typically look at an antique car? Is that insured under your homeowner's policy? So generally speaking, no. So an antique car being a motor vehicle um, does not inside our policy, at least, you know, it's not covered as, as a, a, you know, a coverage. Um, there, there are certain things like a, maybe a tractor or an ATV um, that are kind of, you know, on the fringe. Um, the way our policy reads is uh, for the use and maintenance of your property. And so, you know, you could understand that a uh, if you were riding the fence line to make sure those cows didn't get out or, you know, you were using a tractor, um, there could be uh, coverage there. Um, but you, you couldn't probably um, uh, make an antique uh, something for use and maintenance of your property. That would be something you'd drive out for a show or a Sunday drive. Mm -hmm. and, and so that would be a vehicle that you need to make sure is added to your automobile policy. That's correct. Um, we actually have a very uh, competitive antique rate. Um, we know that you're not driving it to work every day. Uh, you're not putting a whole lot of miles on it. Generally, somebody babies a, a vehicle like that. Um, so, so the rate is a lot of times uh, for more coverage dollar-wise, uh, less expensive than a standard auto policy. Okay. Yeah, that's that's crucial. And that can be either a, uh, a just a liability on that vehicle if it's actually being used or it could be full coverage even on that antique car. That's right. Yep. And, and a lot of times we would do an agreed value at the beginning. So if anything happened, you know, you'd, you'd know exactly what you were going to get out of it if it were to be totaled. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, shift gears just a little bit with the um, uninsured motorist coverage, or sometimes I guess they call it underinsured, how important is it for drivers to consider that and add that to their policy? I'd say it's very important. Um, last I checked, somewhere around 10 or 15% of the cars on the road are driving uninsured. 
And, you know, a lot of times people think, well, you know, why would anybody do that? And, and it could just be somebody forgot to pay their bill. And so it lapsed even for a day or a week. Um, and so, you know, you don't, you don't choose uh, if you get into a car accident, if somebody hits you and that person has no insurance or not enough to fix your injuries, time out of work, uh, medical bills, um, then you, you need to have uninsured motors to take care of yourself because you can't rely on that other person. Yeah, and with that, that policy, there's that additional consideration that they maybe have only purchased the minimum, which would be $25.50. And so what are the, generally, what are the rules relating to how much uninsured motorist um, that you can buy compared with the amount of insurance that you have for your own liability? Yeah, so um, you could you can't care about yourself more than someone else and vice versa. So um, you, you have to um, you're limited by the amount of liability that you have as to how much uninsured motors. So uh, let's say you have 250,000, 500,000, 100 for your liability, you would be able to buy up to that same amount of the uninsured motorist. Is that something where Typically, you have to ask for it, or is that an automatic this added on, and then you have to opt out of it when you're when you're purchasing your your automobile insurance? So um, I require that my staff uh, include it in all the quotes and discuss that. Uh, that being said, if you choose not to, uh, the state does require you to sign a form that says I I, I elect to not carry this coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, these are very important and helpful insurance topics. And I, I know that for a lot of our listeners with LegalWise, maybe you've given them some areas to think about. And so we've been visiting with Andy Goron with State Farm Insurance. And Andy, if some listeners want more information about insurance, how do they contact you? Yeah, so the, the best way would be to give us a call. Uh, my office number is 770-474-6878. And we're right here on Eagles Landing in Stockbridge. Great. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We have a question from Andre. He says, my wife and I recently signed a contract to buy a house. Because of my job, I'm going to be out of town for several weeks, including the week of the closing. What can I do? Well, thanks for the question, Andre, and congratulations on your new home purchase. For most home buyers, the acquisition of the real estate represents only a portion of the documents executed at the closing table. In fact, a buyer typically does not execute the deed transferring title to the property. That's signed by the seller. But with the average home purchase, the buyers are using a loan to finance a portion of the purchase price. Therefore, numerous documents are required by the lender, including a promissory note, a deed to secure debt, and other loan documents the lender provides to the closing attorney. Well, in addition to these documents, the lender usually also requires that the buyer purchase title insurance. The title insurer will require that the documents being recorded in the deed records are signed in an acceptable way. And this brings us to your question. What do you do if you're not available on the closing date? Well, you'll want to talk with the closing attorney who can reach out to both the lender and the title insurer to determine if they'll accept the use of 
a limited power of attorney. This document, which usually specifically identifies the property being purchased and contains other details, is then executed by you prior to the closing so that your agent is authorized to sign for you at the time of the closing. Many times this document is recorded along with the deed to secure debt. Andre, it's important for you to reach out to the closing attorney as soon as possible to allow time for him to consult with the lender and the title insurer because you don't want your absence to unnecessarily delay the closing and risk breaching the contract. Well, thanks for the question, Andre. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, visit LegalWiseGA.com. We have a question from Christina. She says, I don't have a will. My mom died a few years ago, and the probate process has taken a long time to complete. I have two kids, and I know I need to get something in place in case something were to happen to me. What's the difference between a testamentary trust and a living trust? Well, thanks for the question, Christina. Taking control of the planning process is the only way for your wishes for your children to be realized. If you don't make a plan, the state will determine who will receive your property and who will be in charge when you pass away. You've identified one of the chief complaints we hear at Eccles Law Group when we visit with someone wanting to begin their estate planning process. Many times we're informed that they want an estate plan that will avoid the delays and trouble associated with the probate process. Christina, having a written legal plan is important for everyone, but particularly so for those who have minor children. One of the most challenging decisions is determining who will be the guardian of your children when the mother and father are not alive or able to take care of them. Your particular question deals with the management of the property that will go to your kids because they aren't able to manage their property at their young age. A testamentary trust is a trust created in your will and it receives property from the executor and allows a way for the money and other property to be held until some time in the future, usually when the child is old enough to responsibly receive the property and manage it. A living trust, on the other hand, is a trust that you create during your lifetime, and it provides for the management of your property during your life and then after you pass away. Typically, you're the trustee of this trust while you're alive, and then you identify another person to take over the job when you're unable. The benefit of a living trust is that it allows continuity with the property because the assets in the trust don't have to go through the probate process. Your trustee will have access to the property immediately upon your death for the benefit of your children instead of having to wait until the probate process is complete which is the case with the testamentary trust. Christina, now is a great time to get started on your estate plan. You're invited to visit EccleslawGroup.com and register for a free estate planning workshop where we'll discuss in more detail the options available in thinking about estate planning. Thanks for the question. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. You've been listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. I hope you've enjoyed the show. 
If you have any questions or want more information, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com or give us a call, 770-506-9092. While legal advice can help, we know that true peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us next week as we answer more interesting questions from listeners just like you. The information, comments, and opinions expressed in Legal Wise with Ted Eccles do not constitute legal advice. The topics discussed and opinions given are general in nature and not intended to create any legal relationship or opinion about specific circumstances. No attorney-client relationship has been or will be formed by any communication or legal discussion, and no representation is made regarding your particular legal rights. For legal advice, contact an attorney actively practicing in your jurisdiction.